encourage you to take your Bible or your device that you brought with you tonight and, and turn to uh, the book of Job. We'll be there for a first portion of our time together. We uh, started this morning looking at a uh, message entitled, Encourage One Another. And uh, we had that root scripture in 1 Thessalonians 5.11 that tells us, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. And Paul is telling the church of Thessalonica how important it is to encourage one another. He catches them doing it right and he says, I'm afraid that you may do this by accident and and not know how important it is. When you're encouraging each other, you need to know it's not only Christ-like, it's only good. It is absolutely necessary for us to be built up and to grow into the people that God has called us to be. As we share a little bit about that this morning, I... I, uh, didn't have enough time, and I knew I wouldn't have enough time to cover all that, and so tonight is kind of part two of what we went through this morning. And we saw the, the call to encourage and why it's so important, and we, we saw what encouragement is, and so if you missed some of that this morning, you may want to uh, uh, talk with me and I can get you some notes, not because you just are a sermon note junkie and you've got nothing better to do in your life than just collect sermon notes, but because I believe it's a very practical teaching that can help us day to day in how to live this out, especially in that how portion. But tonight, we're going to go into God's Word, and I'm not going to read the passages as much as I want you to have it in your hand and check and see that it's right in there. And I'm going to be in Job chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 4 and chapter 16, but, but it's there in your outline. You can see the references that this is what's going on in the life of Job for that first part of the message. But as we look at this example in Job's life, We're going to then also look at the friends, these wonderful friends that Job has and how wonderfully discouraging they are. I think it can help us because whenever we have a message like we heard this morning that sounds good, we feel energized and I'm ready to go out and charge hell with a squirt gun and write notes of encouragement to everybody and just love on the world and then you come across that person. I was going to ask you to raise your hand if you came across that person today, but I won't do that. They may be sitting next to you, and that could be bad for all of us, but it won't be long. You'll have a couple of days, and you'll come across somebody who just takes the wind from your sail, and, and they just kind of deflate you, and you go, I, how can I encourage anybody? I feel so discouraged myself, and it's important for us to see the real-life account of Job tonight, so that's kind of one piece that we're going to do, and then we're going to move into a, a part that's not in your outline. This is extra. It's free. I'm not charging you for it. Actually, it came late, too late. Uh, and the presses were already printing, so we'll, we'll fit that in. It's point one and a half. We'll look at not only uh, in Job's life, but we're going to look at David's life. Because sometimes we need to have some self-encouragement. We need to encourage ourselves in the Lord. And we'll talk about what David did for that. And we'll close by looking at Barnabas, who was known to be an encourager. But the whole just is not to get a history lesson. Okay? We're going to walk through some stuff, and, and you guys can handle it. It may get a little bit thick in a couple places, but, but you can handle it. But remember, the just is that these are real people dealing with other real people who have discovered what it means to be encouraged in the Lord and to encourage others in the Lord in, this, in spite of all kinds of adversity. The book of Job starts with this account that we're catching a conversation. It's like we've got in on a Skype call between Job, uh, excuse me, between Satan and God. One day Satan was in the presence of God and God says to him, have you considered my servant Job? Have you seen my son Job? He is an amazing model of what it means to trust in me. 
God talks about this in Job 1.8. In essence, Satan replies, well, God, that's understandable. I mean, Job is faithful to you, but you put a hedge of protection around him. Anybody would serve you. Anybody would serve you if they'd had the blessings that you've given to Job. So that's not an example of how faithful your kids are to you. Just look at this. Well, in essence, God says to Satan, well, I'm going to let you destroy everything he has, but don't take his life. Don't touch his life. So God allows suffering, not to tempt Job to do wrong, but to demonstrate Job's integrity. God allowed Job to have a hardship to prove to Satan that, that he would not only still serve him, but trust in him. So Satan left God's presence and was determined to bring Job down. And this is where we see this life of Job take place. Job 1.8 and 120 and 122 is kind of where I'm at in some of that. And we find this upright man who is down in the dumps. You've heard of his life account before, but I want us to be reminded of it tonight. And one day Job lost everything. I was reading over this again this week. It just blows my mind to think of how much he lost all at once. One after another, uh, four frightened messengers reported to Job that 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and 3,000 camels were stolen by enemies in a raid. 7,000 sheep were struck by lightning and killed, and all ten of Jacob's children, seven sons and three daughters, were killed when a tornado hit the house in which they were staying. All but four of Jacob's servants were also killed, and all heaven watched to see what Jacob would do. Then Jacob arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and he fell to the ground and he worshipped and he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now when we sing that this morning, I think of saying, Blessed be the name of the Lord when you get that increase or raise at work. Blessed be the name of the Lord when you are a recipient of somebody's encouraging postcard today. I got one today, and that was encouraging. I want to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. But how about it when you lose all your possessions? When you lose not one, but, but all of your kids. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There's something happening here in the life of Job that's, that's pretty amazing. And all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job 1, 20 and 22. We chalk one up for God and... We strike one against Satan that God is showing to Satan the integrity of Job. Satan came back and said, God, let me, let me tell you this. I, I understand that, that Jacob didn't cave in when he lost everything, but, but if you just touched his life, I mean, his, his health is so much. If you would just touch his life, if you made him sick, surely he would curse you. And God says, all right, Satan, let, let's look at round two. You can do anything you want to him, but don't kill him. You can make him sick, but don't kill him. Have you ever been so sick, so sick that you just, just wanted to die? Have you been so sick that you were afraid that maybe you'd live another day? Have you been so sick that you just were so nauseated? My wife just flew back from Dallas. She was at a conference, and I got a call this afternoon, and she was, uh, I shouldn't be laughing. This is suffering for her, but she got a call. It's tickling me right now. It's not very nice. I got a call. She was at a layover, and she said, Brady, I'm so sick. The flight was so bumpy, there was so much turbulence, and she's one who doesn't do with motion sickness well, and she took all the Dramamine that she could without overdosing, and she was so sick, and she said, I just can't stand it, I don't think I ever want to fly on a plane again. So she got on the next flight to come back to Fort Wayne, and she said it was worse, and she felt even more sick. And I said, I'm going to ask the people tonight, have you ever felt so sick you want to die? She said, I felt it today. 
It just You can remember being in that moment when you, you hurt so much your stomach aches and you're nauseous. You hurt so much that just nobody talked because even just hearing someone's voice just sends pain through your ears. And it's just one of those things. He was absolutely struck with sickness. That's what happened to Job. We don't know all the details about his sickness and exactly what it was. We know some of the symptoms, severe itching and insomnia. Uh, we have running sores, scabs, and nightmares, and bad breath. And we begin to see weight loss and chills and fever and diarrhea and blackened skin that literally falls off. He was having a bad day physically. Job was so, so mutilated by his illness that when the three closest friends to him came and they saw him, they didn't even recognize him. That's pretty sick. And Job's wife, she hadn't been killed, she hadn't been taken. She wasn't in the house with the kids when the tornado hit the house, and she was still alive, but she wasn't much help. When Job got sick, he, she said to him in, in Job 2, 9, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die! Why are you still sticking up for this God who has taken everything, even your health? But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not ex- accept the adversity? And then the text adds, and all this Job did not sin with his lips. This is the backdrop. This is the setting of the scene of what we really want to get to is Job's friends. These three unwise guys. It's not the three wise men. It's not the three guys who are just a great example. That they, The three guys who really don't get what it means to be an encourager. The kind of tragedy that Job suffered would not be easy to keep quiet. It would be the talk of the region. Did you hear what happened to Job? He lost all of his livestock. Lost his family. He's so sick that that nobody can recognize him. And so his friends set out and they agreed to go visit Job. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from their own place. They, They left home and they came together. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. If you're looking for names for your grandchildren or your kids, maybe recommend some of those. Those are some exciting names. But Job would have known them well. They weren't strangers. They weren't enemies. They were friends to him. Good old Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar come to his rescue For they made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort and encourage him. And when they raised their eyes from a distance, from afar, they didn't even recognize him. They lifted their voices and they wept. Each one tore their robe and sprinkled dust on their their head toward heaven. And they sat down with him on the ground. And for seven days and seven nights, no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. Job chapter 2, 11 through 13 talks about. They saw Job and they said, Better not, better not even say anything. And they were, they were so struck by how much he was suffering, they were silent. Now, there was a couple things these guys did correctly. I mean, they're not like all bad. One, they came to Job when he was in trouble. The friends showed up. It's easy to, you know, think about someone and commiserate with them when they're going through a hard time from a distance. You just send them a Facebook message and you just stay away. But they, they journeyed to him. They came to him and there were some, some good things in that. They demonstrated some commitment on their part. They also had hearts of compassion. The text tells us they saw Job and they wept with him. There was not much better healing salve to go on a wound than 
the very authentic tears of a loved one who is weeping with you. There were some good things of them showing up and, and they would weep with him and they were entering into that pain with him for a period of time. These friends sat down with Job and and they kept quiet for seven days. This was probably the wisest thing that they did in the whole time was just to shut up and be quiet for seven days and recognize there's something going on beyond what they could understand, but, but they just couldn't keep quiet. They were doing so well, but they just had to jump in and say some things. Many commentators have noted that for all these good things they just did, they were going to make up for it here in just a few verses, and they sure did. They made up for it by really messing up the whole encouragement realm. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar came allegedly to comfort, to encourage, to minister to Job, but they were lousy encouragers. Actually, Job uses the word in the text that they were miserable. Job answered and said, I have heard, in Job 16, 1-5, I heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. He's talking to these friends who've been discouraging him. Shall your words of, of wind have an end? Or what provokes you to that answer? I also could speak to you as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap words up against you. And shake my head at you. But I would strengthen you with my mouth. I would comfort you with my lips. I would relieve your grief. In essence, Job says, listen. If the roles were reversed, I could say all these nasty things to you, but I wouldn't do that. I'd want to encourage you. I'd want to speak to you. You guys are miserable encouragers. He just calls them out and says, I wouldn't even dare do this to get back at you what you're doing to me. Is that really encouragement? I don't know if you've met friends like Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar. If you have someone in your life with that name, come tell me. I'd like to hear that story. But my guess is you've met somebody who has these wonderful giftings or characteristics of being a lousy encourager. And I want to unpack exactly the nature of what these guys were so gifted in doing. Uh, Eliphaz is heir. Let's look at that. In Job 4, we see some of his folly. Eliphaz is the first speaker. He was the oldest, and he had uh, all his speech wrapped up in his wonderful life experience. Over and over, he says, I have seen, I have seen, I have seen, he declares. You get the picture? Job, let me tell you what I have learned in my life. You have anybody in your life that they just have an answer for everything? They've experienced everything. They know it all. doesn't matter what you feel, what you see, what you've gone through. They can tell you and one-up you with something else. And that's Eliphaz's temperament here. One of the key elements in Eliphaz's counsel was this terrible dream that he had had. In his dream, Eliphaz saw a, a spirit and, and he was frightened by it. And when Eliphaz came to comfort Job, he used his own traumatic experience in his counsel. He brought in that incident and he, he laid down his experience as a template over Job's problem as if to say, let me tell you what I've learned from my fear, from my problem, and let me explain what's going on with you. There's some dangerous things when we begin to say, well, well, this is how it worked for me, so it has to work that way for you. This is what, what made me freaked out in my dream, and so it's got to be this way for you. And, and this was the beginning of some pretty poor counsel that he gave. Let me tell you how it relates to your suffering. After delivering this preliminary statement Eliphaz gives his analysis of Job's predicament. In Job 4, 7 and 8, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? 
I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble and reap the same. Now, don't you wish you had a friend who would speak things like that to you? In essence, he's saying, Job, let me tell you something. You can jot this down. He's saying, nobody who is ever upright goes through trouble like this. His friend is saying, what you're going through is so outlandish, it's so crazy, nobody who is righteous is going through anything like this. So the real question is, what is wrong with you? What is your sin? I want to encourage you, so what you're going through has to be your fault. It has to be tied to what it is you have done wrong. God never punishes the righteous, Job. Whatever a man sows by his iniquity, he always reaps. So what's the real issue? One of the most painful things that can afflict people in a time of trouble is the false guilt often given by well-meaning Christians or religious people. We're very good at heaping on guilt on people when we don't know the whole story. And in this case, we do know the whole story. And we see that Job's suffering was not because of his evil or his bad or his sin. It was actually because of his good and his faithfulness to the Lord. And God was allowing this uh, to test his integrity. Eliphaz was totally mistaken. Well, that's just one friend he had. There was another one that came along. Bildad's blunder in chapter 2 and also chapter 8. We see some of this. Job's three friends had gotten together before they went to see Job. No doubt they probably discussed all the things that they thought. And so there's a similar vein. They kind of had a common plan to talk to Job. And so in this similarity, you'll see some things. But um, Bildad takes it a little bit farther. He's a legalist. He had the same wrong ideas as Eliphaz had and had a similar approach. And he says, you know, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he... Uh, uphold the evildoers. Kind of sounds familiar. Job, you're in this mess because of your sin, but he takes it a step further and he says, if in Job 8, 4, if your sons have sinned against him, he has cast them away for their transgressions. Now, while Job was still mourning the loss of his kids, Bildad suggested that the evil of their sons is what caused God to take their life. Now, this sounds so outlandish, we can't imagine that anybody would ever say anything like this, but um, I called this afternoon to get permission to share this story with you. I remember vividly in Columbus, Ohio, a family who had lost three triplets at the very same time. I was there in the hospital with them, and I held Jack, Philip, and Libby in my arms, and they were, they were born premature, and they were very, very tiny. You could hold them. I could probably hold all three like this, and as I was holding them, it was just heartbreaking to, to see that unless God did a miracle, they weren't going to live very long. And Jack, Philip, and Libby passed away, and it wasn't but about a few hours to some well-meaning Christian said, you know, when you guys did infertility treatment, we knew that God wouldn't bless you messing with His creativity, and, and this is what happens when you take the role of God into your hand. I don't know if I've ever had sanctified anger, but I was pretty close that day. I wanted to just grab someone's neck and say, what are you talking about? What are you saying? And yet we find this coming out and sometimes if we're not careful, we can take a day like today and really speak words of encouragement. But if we are not intentional, we can be taking the gas can and the water can and using them in the wrong time. 
Now, one of the dangers of having two services is sometimes I can't remember what I preached in first service and second service, and so I'm not sure uh, which one you caught this morning. Uh, but my intention was to share with you, and I had a brother talk to me about it after. I said, I thought I said that, but maybe I didn't. But we have a gas can and we have a water can all the time. It's not that the gas is evil and the water is good or the water is evil and the gas is good. They're both needed at certain times and we need God's wisdom to know when to use that. When there's a flame of discouragement, we are to douse it out and to smother it. When there's a flame of potential encouragement, we pour that on and fuel that fire. And what happened in this scenario with Jack, Philip, and Libby is a Christian got really confused in what can they should have used. And regardless of what their position was and how they felt about infertility treatment, this was obviously not the time to pour fuel on pain and discouragement. They should have just kept their mouths shut and for seven days be quiet. If that individual would have listened to me, I would have said, how about try a month with not talking? Maybe that would be good for everybody around you. But this is real life stuff that's happening. And Bildad's blunder was there. In essence, if I would put it in a summary, here's what his message was. Your suffering is not just because of your sin. Your suffering is because of your family's sin. It's someone around you that you're suffering with. There's all kinds of theological problems with this. And we begin to see that there's effects of sin. But, but this reason for your suffering is God's getting back at you for your son's sin. That was his words of encouragement. Zophar has his own misfire. Job 11, we find some of this. Now in Zophar's turn... It's his turn to encourage Job, and he was the one who, I think, was probably the worst. He had a little expression that he loved to use over and over again. In the Old Testament, this idiom is exactly like it sounds today, and he would say this over and over, know this, know this, the same righteous attitude that was self-promoting, just just know this. Let me tell you this. You should, you should know what I'm about to tell you. Over and over and over, he talked about what he knew and how he should know this. 11.6 says, Know therefore that God exacts from you less than your iniquity deserves. In other words, if you think you're hurting, you ought to contemplate just how bad you'd feel if you got what's really coming to you. The guy had lost his family. He lost all his possessions. He lost his health. And so... Zophar's thought was how to encourage him is, hey, I know it's bad, but just imagine if you got what you really deserved, you no good, dirty, rotten, something, you would be thankful and you wouldn't be tempted to be angry at God. Now, they came with good intentions to visit their friends. They, they had compassion. They wept. And from the text, we feel like it was authentic weeping. And, and they knew to be quiet for a while, but they couldn't help but keep their mouths shut for so long. And they had to just impart this wisdom to them. And this misfire was very painful and hurtful. And these are examples of how not to encourage. And in rapid fire, we've touched on a number of them, but here's some things we can learn on what we don't want to reproduce in encouraging someone else. Stay away from words without empathy. These guys didn't do that. They were silent for a while, but they just couldn't help but speak their mind. Sometimes we need to default to that ministry of showing it of showing up and ministry of presence like I talked about this morning because we're not so sure what to say. When we're not sure what to say, maybe this is of God to give us pause and we should just be there as a ministering presence to them. Or just let them know that I am praying for you. It's okay to ask them, how would you like me to pray for you? If you're not so sure, ask, how would you like me to pray for you? 
I know the general thing, but is there a specific way you'd like me to pray for you? Just be quiet or ask them or take cues from them and how we could pour into them. Not only should we stay away from words without empathy, we need to see that they had a poor theology of pain. When you have a poor theology of pain, theos, God, ology, study of, when we have a poor understanding or study of God in the area of pain, it can really get us messed up on how we deal with people. They refuse to recognize suffering as a part of God's plan for Job's life. In their understanding of God, in their worldview, God only wants us to be comfortable and have everything we want. And so they couldn't encourage people because of their poor understanding of who God is. I've gotten more questions on this genre as you're turning in questions, and I'm going to paraphrase of all these different questions of why do bad things happen to good people? It's all phrased differently, and it has your aunt and your uncle and your, your friend in that. But how do we understand this? With, with a poor theology of pain, we can do damage to people. We're not encouraging to them. We need to understand that pain and hardship is not always contradictory to God's plan in our life. We'll talk about that in the weeks to come. Also, we can learn of how not to encourage is not to take the attitude that they had that suffering equals sin. Now, it's similar to the, first, the second one of a poor theology of pain, but it goes a little bit deeper and cuts deeper to it. One says, you know what? God wants you to be happy. The other goes deeper and says, you are suffering because of your own evil, because of your own disobedience to God. Now, when we disobey God, we can bring pain upon ourselves. That's possible. But to say that suffering equals sin is a very, very, very big mistake. And when we're encouraging people, when they're going through suffering, we need to recognize, I don't have the whole story. Even if I think I know what's going on, there's a good chance that I don't even come close to when it's going on. Finally, in some ways not to encourage, is their idea of all suffering is the same. Don't encourage people this way, thinking that all suffering is the same. If you've lost a loved one, my guess is you've had some well-meaning person come up to you and say, I know exactly how you feel. No, no, they don't. No, they don't. Well, I lost a father and you lost a father, so we know exactly what it's like. No, 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 you don't. I've lost a child and you've lost a child, and so I know exactly. No, no, you don't. I've gone through this physical pain, and you've gone through this physical pain, I know exactly... No, I don't. In fact, if you've really walked through that, you know more than anything else, there's a whole unique set of circumstances that compounds that. Now, you can enter in and say, man, I can't imagine all the things you're feeling. I can identify with just a part of it, and and it's got to be compounded for you, and I can enter in with empathy. But, But to say that all suffering is the same, or to say that my suffering is exactly like yours... I think this is one where we really, probably more often than not, is accidental. We, we do harm when we're trying to encourage someone, is we choose to encourage and give all this unsolicited advice at the same time. Sometimes we just need to choose. Do I feel led to encourage or tell you what you need to do? There's a place to give instruction. There's a place to give correction. And God's Word is helpful in both of those. But sometimes encouragement needs to just stand on its own and to hear that, you know what, I can have a renewed hope in Christ and it doesn't have to be on here's the 15 things that you need to do better. Moms, dads, this is one I think in parenting that we can confuse. Is there ever a time where we just catch our kids or our grandkids doing it right and we just stop right there and just say, I'm proud of you. 
Not, I'm proud of you, so let's work on this area. Uh, choose another time for that. That's how not to encourage. Now, we don't want to be like those three unwise guys. And so that can help us there. But, but what do you do if those are the people in your life? If that's your boss, if that's your spouse, if that's your kid, if that's your parent, if that's your friend, if that's your network of people you're around, we need to take a note from David's life. So I guess this is point one and a half. It's not in your outline, so write it on your neighbor's arm. I don't know. But in David's life, we see over and over again, as he walked through suffering, he would cry out to the Lord. One of my favorite things about the Psalms, it is so raw, it is so transparent, I can identify with it right away. David turned to Scripture to encourage himself. We see in 1 Samuel 36, it says David strengthened, or another uh, translation puts it, David encourages himself in the Lord. What does it mean for you and I to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, to encourage ourselves in the Lord? When I meditate on His Word, there is hope. Remember, we talked about what encouragement means, and, and it is spurring me on to have hope to be a better Christian, to be a better follower of Christ. And so when I encourage myself, it's not making myself feel great about me, but it's to say, you know what, I have hope in the Lord. And so David was the master at self-talk. Sometimes we need to have some self-talk and begin to rehearse what it is that God has given us as promises. It was David who wrote the words about Scripture as he knew them. The statute of the Lord are right. Rejoicing comes from the heart. More to be desired are they than gold. Sweeter are they than honey of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them, great is your reward. Psalm 19, 8, 10, and 11 tell us. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 27, 1. I sought the Lord and He heard me. He delivered me from all my fears. Psalm 34, 4. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Psalm 34, 8. And this, this is my favorite. I want to read it from the NIV here. Some of the others I had in the New King James. Psalm 43, 5. Why are you downcast oh my soul we ever talk to your soul apparently david did why are you downcast oh my soul why so disturbed within me put your hope in god for i will yet praise him my savior and my god this is a model of david when he's faced with enemies when he's faced with people who are like these three unwise guys coming at him he is going back to what he knows in the lord he talks to himself why am i so downcast put my hope in god It's not saying, well, the problem doesn't exist. It's not saying that I don't have any flaws or weaknesses. It's saying God is greater than anything that I'm facing. And I can take courage. I can be encouraged. I can have hope in Him. Sometimes we need to allow the Lord to minister to us by self-talk. When you're discouraged, the best friend that you have apart from your prayer life with Jesus is your relationship with God and His Word. Just like we talked about encouragement, that when it's spoken, it's powerful, it needs to be spoken, but it needs to be written because it's, it's definite, it's direct, it's deliberate, and it's durable. So is God's Word. It's definite. It's directly to you. It is, it is durable. It will stand the test of time. You can't get away from it. The people you know who memorize God's Word, it's not just because they want to be smart and pulled in their brain. It feeds their soul. Many of us in this room know this, but I want to remind us, why do we know this? Why do we do this? Is it an encouragement to our heart? Do we quote it? Do we help the next generation see why it's so important to have this? 
Well, we looked at these three unwise guys and people who aren't very good encouragers. We, we've looked a little bit at David's life. And, and now the number two or three, however you want to count it. I want us to look at Barnabas. We're going to be in Acts. It's Acts 2 and jump around through Acts 2 and 4. And while I'm not reading all the passages, it may be good to thumb through there and see that this is really in there. I'm not making this up. You can find it. It's the life of Barnabas. Barnabas was a disciple in the early assembly of the believers. And, and in order to meet the needs of the church, Acts 2, 44 through 45 tells us, All who believed were together and had all the things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among them all and gave to anyone who had need. You know these passages. And we find this landowner in Cyprus, a productive, fertile city on the border of Syria. We may assume that Barnabas was a wealthy man. We know for sure that he was one of those rare people who valued giving more than receiving. In fact, in every place he shows up in the New Testament, it's recorded that he is encouraging somebody. This was a man who was such a motivator such an encourager that the apostles finally had to change his name from Joseph or Joseph to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. Barnabas was worthy of a name change. Now, I love this thought. If someone was going to change your name, to change it from Jim, to change it from Brad or Farrell, to change it from Paul, or John, or Zeus, what would they change it to? Not like what name would you like better or anything like that, but if they were going to pick a name that would describe the very character of who you are, I think that would be pretty cool to see that everybody around him, he didn't nominate himself for Mr. Encouragement of the Year. It was the people around him that said, hey, we can't call you by another name. You are encouragement to us. That's how we refer to you. Barnabas, he wasn't just a good old boy, a backslapper who would just give attaboys to people. Scripture tells us that he was a sincere man of God. He's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit in Acts eleven twenty four. Now, there's three qualities in, in, in Barnabas's life I want us to look at. They're qualities of an encourager. And Joseph, who is also known as Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, Having land, he sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet, Acts 4, 34 and 37. By his act of charity, Barnabas illustrates the first of three principles. He encourages by performing, by acting, by following through, not just pretending. So that first one there is performers, not pretenders. Encouragers are ones who act, they perform, and not just pretend. Now, it's interesting to me, Barnabas' story is in close proximity in the text between Ananias and Sapphira. I think it kind of highlights his generosity even more. Ananias and Sapphira, they gave a gift, but their gift was not sincere. It was not transparent. They lied about their gift of how much they had, and they only gave part of it, and so they technically gave some, but Barnabas was free in his, in his giving, and it was known that he was an encourager in how he would give, and he was someone who would perform that and not just pretend about it. And so if I'm going to be an encourager, don't just talk about it. Don't just pretend to be that. Be that. When people are watching, encourage. When people are not watching, encourage someone. When it may benefit you, sure, encourage. When it doesn't benefit you, definitely encourage. Encourage for the sake of building them up 
in the, in the body of Christ, not for what it is that you get. This is a quality of an encourager. They act. They don't wait till the atmosphere is exactly perfect. Well, I'm going to calculate when I'm going to use this water or this gas, and I'm going to wait till all the stars align. I'm going to wait till they, they begin to acknowledge how much they need me or how much they need God. And just encourage. When you see a flame of discouragement, smother it. When you see a potential flame of encouragement, feed it. Pour into the people. Well, what if they don't deserve it? You and I don't deserve it. Let it be a part of your life. Don't just speak it, write it. Don't just write it. We need to show it. Don't just show it, give it. Don't just give it, pray it. And then you begin to live it out of your life. We saw that this morning on the hows of how to do this. We begin to see Barnabas mentioned next in the New Testament in connection with the Apostle Paul's rise to prominence within the church. The the story begins with the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. The bright light, the voice from heaven, the fall to the ground, all combined with the genuine work of the Holy Spirit in Saul's life, who's renamed Paul. There's a transformation. After this miraculous event, instead of persecuting the Christians as he's been doing, taking their life, Paul desires to join them. Acts 9.26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem after his conversion... He tried to join the disciples. And unless we remember the background of Paul's life, we would miss the rest of verse 26. But they, the disciples, were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. This is the guy who was killing Christians and now he wants to come be a part of Christians. It's not hard to see why the true followers of Christ were skeptical of Paul. They were skeptical of his conversion. And to bring him into the center, to the core of the fellowship was unthinkable. It was unthinkable to everybody except Barnabas. Barnabas had heard of Paul's testimony, perhaps firsthand, we don't know. And Barnabas believed Paul and was willing to stick his neck out for him. Barnabas took a risk and brought him to the apostles. He proclaimed, we need to give this guy a chance. This second transferable quality of an encourager that's in Barnabas' life is encourages seek, excuse me, see potential where others see problems. Encouragers see potential where others see problems. When no one wanted anything to do with Paul, Barnabas stood up for him and with him and believed in him. Who is it in your circle of influence that there may be some problems, there may be some risk, but you say, you know what, I'm going to stand in the gap for them. I'm going to stand up for them to be an encouragement, not just so they can feel good, but so I can encourage them to continue to grow in the Lord. I guess that would be put as... Looking for potential, not for problems. A third time we see a Barnabas principle for encouragers is illustrated in the 11th chapter of Acts. Barnabas has been commissioned by the church to go to Jerusalem, to go as a representative of the church to the Gentile church in Antioch. And a great movement of the Spirit breaks out. And the whole assembly is catching fire and they're learning from his teaching and they're growing and and then he goes away and he comes back and they're growing again and as barnabas is continuing to grow them it says that the the church experienced great growth i don't know if you've ever seen an authentic move of the holy spirit where there is a divine anointing on those who are teaching that was what was happening with paul and excuse me that's what was happening with barnabas and and what's different in barnabas's life and then too many others who experience an anointing 
Barnabas didn't get back up on the stage and say, well, that's a really good crusade that I did and just kind of revel in the fact of how successful he was and give a, a seminar on how you too could have an amazing church if you did things like me. He actually sought out Paul. The more people that were coming to know the Lord, he recognized his limitations and how he couldn't disciple all of them. So he brought Paul in. Instead of trying to take all the glory and the credit for himself, he brought Paul in and said, I want you to help teach. I want you to help preach. I want you to help disciple. And they linked arms together. And that is a perfect example of an encourager. They are focused more on the people than the position of prominence. He thought, you know what, if I take the credit for this, the people are going to suffer. I have limitations, I need other people around me. And so an encourager says, it's more important for the person to grow than for me to grow my own agenda, for me to grow my own stock in whatever it is that I'm doing. And so he would give away the glory. Barnabas had to have a name change because he lived this out. Well, I want us to take these life examples from these three real life stories the not so wise guys of job's friends from david's life of self-talk and chewing on god's word to be encouraged and barnabas's life who had to be renamed because he lived it so much that's who he was we wrote notes today of encouragement but there's some of you in this room that are master encouragers You probably wouldn't label yourself that because you're like Barnabas and you're wanting to give away the credit and draw someone else in. But I heartily challenge you, don't just do it without bringing someone else in on it. Share your gifting and your passion with someone else. It's just like any skill set. When you begin to practice encouraging somebody, you get better at it and better at it and better at it and better at it. Have you been around somebody who is just a tremendous encourager? Yeah? No? How many, just by show of hand, you can think of a name of someone who is an amazing encourager in your life? Just, just raise your hand. Okay? Seek them out. Ask, how could I, how could I encourage like them? Dr. Hendricks is a great educator, Christian, helps teachers know how to teach, helps Christians know how to disciple. Dr. Henderson was the mentor for Bruce Wilkinson. Maybe you've read some of his material. He's got a number of different things. Walk through the Bible is a scripture memory ministry that he has worked with for years. He wrote Prayer of Jabez and a number of other things. Whether he lights your fire or not, I don't really care, but the Jesus he serves should light our fire. And Dr. Hendricks was pouring into Bruce Wilkinson and and began to teach him as a seminary student the qualities of what it means to blossom somebody or to encourage somebody. He talks about it as the law of expectation. Where's the book? If you'd like to read more on that, talk to me later and I can help you find uh, his book on how to... uh, It's almost every answer for practically any teacher. That's quite a claim, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. But the exception, or excuse me, the principle of expectation is this. There are expectations on all of us. Expectations to succeed. Expectations to fail. Expectations to please. Expectations to disappoint. The question is not if the students or the family members or the friends around you have expectations or not. It's what is it that you are going to expect of them. He's got a great 
step-by-step teaching to help us understand I can become a better encourager when I step into your life and I speak expectations. I have to observe what's been happening in the past, what's happening in the present, what do I think could happen in the future. And when I encourage you in the name of the Lord, I can begin to speak in, I expect this to take place because of what God's doing in your life. Now this theoretical stuff is just kind of, oh, all right, whatever. But I want us to do a little role play. We are so on time. Oh my goodness, it's unbelievable how on time we are. If you only knew how on time we are, you'd be so proud. We're not going to be here too much longer, but, but this is too good to miss. What we're going to practice right now, and I want you to find someone close to you. Now, if you don't like anybody that you sat next to, that's your fault. You chose your seat poorly. I don't know. I don't know how to tell you. You should choose your seat better next time. But find someone around you, and we're going to practice speaking encouragement to them. Just some simple steps as this. Ask yourself this question. Not like, you know, I like your shirt or I like your hair. Those are compliments. Those are nice. That's good. But that's, remember, that's yearbook stuff that we write in high school. Okay, that's, that's nice. But there's no transformational power in that. Nobody's life has changed because they have amazing hair or a nice shirt or good shoes or, you know, funny personality or whatever. But when I begin to speak encouragement into you, that when they hear this, they go, man, I want to be a better Christian. I want to be closer to God because of what I'm hearing. I'm feeling encouraged and I have hope in my walk with the Lord because of this. So a question we ask ourselves as you look at that person, do I see any Jesus in them? I don't know. Do I see any scripture or promise of the Lord that I could speak into their life? You know, I, I just sense that you love the Lord. And I just want to remind you that when God is for us, nobody is against us. Who can be against us? Oh, there may be people who don't like us, but they don't measure up to the God we have. When, when we begin to speak into them, we say, I, I see this in your life. It happens. Now, we're going to try it, and it's going to be awkward. Okay, it's going to be awkward. There's some of you who hate this right now, and as we turn to each other, you're going to run and leave. And that's okay, and I love you. And I want to encourage you in the Lord and say, it's okay okay but some of us we are master encouragers and we need to help each other and so we just got a few minutes left so take about 60 seconds an encouraging word doesn't have to be a book long it can just be a phrase or two find someone around you if you don't know their first name that's going to be tough so find someone you know their first name if you're here by yourself and you don't know anybody i want you to think of a text that you would send to someone or a note that you would write to someone and maybe do it right now okay on your marks get set Let's encourage somebody. Find someone around you. Just speak a word of encouragement. It doesn't have to be hard. Just, just try it. Just try it. You, th- very good. You may need to get up and walk to someone. That's okay. That's allowed. All right, you got about 15 seconds till it's time to switch. If you're already done, just awkwardly stare each other in the eyes. That'll be okay. All right, go ahead and switch. If you haven't switched, share with the other person.
I can tell by the hush of the conversation that either you're in a seven-day period of being quiet because you don't know what to say. That's okay. That could be godly. Or maybe you're done. But I want to pause right now. And those who heard an encouraging word that you felt like that was, that was helpful to you, that blessed you, that you think is a good example for someone else of, of how to give an encouraging word, you weren't the one who said it, but you received it and it blessed you. Someone just shared, just stand up and say, this is what was said to me. It's going to feel awkward, I know, but it's okay. This person said this to me and it blessed me. I think this was a good word of encouragement that I, that I just heard. Anybody, someone around them did a good job of encouraging you? Anybody? Raise your hand. They, they did a good job of encouraging you. Okay, very good. Terry, I'm going to pick on you. Just, just, just share, as loud as you can, what it is that was said to you and, and what ministered to you, what, what spoke to you in that word of encouragement. See if I can get a microphone back. Thank you, Paul. Put you to work, friend. Thank you. Terry, back there. No, it's on. It's good. They got it. It's the red mic. Right here. Terry Wright. One more. Back here. Back here. Thank you, Paul. What was it that was said to you that was encouraging that you think is a good example for us to learn from on how to encourage someone? What were the encouraging words that were spoken to you? Oh my. It's kind of personal, but uh, um, that I'm I'm optimistic and and that I'm, yeah, and that that was encouraging. Okay. I want to press on this. Now, one, it was personal. Okay. Sometimes an encouraging word, it needs to be personal. Now, this is going to feel really awkward, Terry, but I already know the answer. Too late. Already there? Okay. Do you think it was true, what they said to you? Well, she wouldn't lie. Okay. Good. 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 So it was personal. It was true. It resonated with you, and therefore it, it was meaningful. Good. Good. Anybody else? Now that I've, I've thoroughly terrified Terry, you want to be terrified as well. Kitty wants to sign up for this punishment. Very good. Kitty enjoys punishment. Very good. Kitty, tell us, what was said to you that was an encouraging word? And then why do you think it's a good model for someone else to learn how to be encouraging? So what was said to you? What she said to me was that she's seen a, a lot of growth in me in, um, you know, in learning about God and stuff because I was raised with none. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great word of encouragement. And so, Kitty, why do you think that was so impactful for you? Why do you think it was a good example of how we should encourage one another? What, what was either what was said or how it was said? Why was that a good example? Because it encourages me to to keep working at it, and I, I need to hear that because I get my I'm harder on myself than anybody, especially God. So here's what I'm hearing you say. So don't let me put words in your mouth, but I think I'm hearing you say, you know, it was good because after it was said. You, you wanted to grow more. Yes, yes. It was good for someone to notice it, but you left going, I, I want to grow more. Good. Anything else you want to share on that? No, I mean, just, it helped me. Okay. Pastor, I had one good. this morning. Yeah, yeah. The person said to me, I respect you because you live the life that is conveyed by the scriptures. Okay. So they said that to you. Why do you feel like that was uh, impactful for you? Why is that a good example for us? Well, I knew that person was serious. So I took it with a lot of credit. Okay. And when you know it's sincere, it's not just a passing, you know, been there or something else type of thing. Okay. Then you know it's meaningful. All right. This is helpful. Don't check out. The person 
was serious and sincere, and I'm going to read in between the lines, Paul, you have respect for them. By the way you're talking about it, you respected their opinion and what they said, and so it, it ministered to you. And sometimes we can earn the right to have a deeper level of encouragement by building that relationship with them. Very good. Someone else, we're not done. This is, this is really good stuff. Someone just said something to you, or, or a word of encouragement, Jim. Uh, Jim, tell us what was said to you and why you think that is important for us to learn on how to encourage each other. Jim? Paul told me that he appreciated my testimony because he knew I was living. Good, good. That's wonderful. So, Jim, no, no, hold on, we're not done, we're not done. This is, this is excellent. I think that is great. I'm glad you shared that. Why was that encouraging to you, and why do you think it's a good example for us to know how to encourage someone else? Because I think it was. Why was that meaningful to you? Well... I know I have to be a little bit careful because there are times when it sounds more like I was bragging on myself. Mm-hmm. But uh, I guess that's about it. Okay, now, Jim, I want to press on this because you have risk vulnerability with me, and I value that. When you said, I, I want to be careful on airtime and talking about myself, you know, I, I don't want to toot my own horn. Friends, a lot of us, are not okay with talking about the good things that are happening in our life. And it takes someone else to point them out in us. And I think that's one reason why it possibly is, is beneficial. And so don't be afraid. Remember we talked this morning about this silly idea that if you verbalize it, someone's going to get a big head and get conceited and so prideful and all this stuff. Hogwash. There's enough of Satan going around to discourage us, and we're afraid to even think about what's good is going on in our life. There may be a few people who just are so amazed with themselves, but by and large, most people are discouraged with themselves, and we need to hear that word from someone. Okay, we time for maybe one or two more. Someone else, you heard something that was encouraging to you that could be a good lesson for us on how to, to encourage someone else. Anybody? Yeah, Jim. My wife and I did about the 30-second yeah. What she said to me was, she says, you see the potential and not the problems. And that took me back just a couple seconds. I got to think about that for quite some time uh, because I'm sitting there thinking, what potential have I seen rather than the problem that I encourage? So sometimes I wonder if it's so much part of who we are that sometimes we don't see what we do. I guess yes. So I, I got to think about that one for a while. But I got to tell you, she's pretty analytic with people. Very yeah. good, as a matter of fact. So I, I'm going to have to explore that a little bit more. It's kind of been long. So. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm not sure we're going to do that tonight. So, Jim, <laughs> let's, let's see if I'm hearing you right, okay? And if this isn't right, say, no, you got it wrong. It was horrible, Brady. Try again, okay? <laughs> so you tell me this. I think I'm hearing you say that what ministered to you when you heard from your wife that you see the potential in problems, you know she's gone the distance with you, and it makes you think, what problems is she speaking of what potential is it that i saw because i have value in her because she's done life with me and she knows me we know each other so well that in 30 seconds we can do this and we can get so used to ourselves that we don't even see the forest because we're so stuck in the trees is that what i'm hearing okay so here's here's a word for us as we get ready to leave tonight there's people very very close to you who it's easy to forget that it's our job to encourage them we may have done so much life, we just go, oh, of course my spouse knows this. Maybe not. Maybe they need to hear it again. Remember the iced tea thing this morning? 
how much does it cost for a glass of iced tea? I don't know, one or two pennies. But when it's given at the right time, it's invaluable. It's, it's, it's amazing. The same thing with people close to us. It may be not that they've never ever heard that before, but the timing of hearing it at that moment could be a tremendous gift. Now, I want to un- unleash, I want to free up some of you. There's a whole world of being an expert at this. Bill, you're one. I didn't ask permission, so I'm going to ask forgiveness later, but not right now. So I'm just going to step out on a limb. Bill, one of the things I love is you have encouragement in your DNA. If you've ever got a call on your birthday, it's from Bill. You have a passion to pour into people. You are personal when you do that. That's not just a part of your DNA. But friends, we need, we need another Bill. We need someone else. So I'm going to ask you and people like you. You didn't have to say anything unless you want to. But now I'm really going to scare them. But, but we need people like you to carry on the work that you're doing. And so if you are sensing that God is using you in encouragement, you don't have to like, you know, toot your own horn. But, but help us see how to do this. Because remember, when we speak it, when we write it, when we show it, when we give it, when we pray it, we begin to, to live it. And I don't know if we would vote. I, I, I like the name Bill, but I, he's a guy I'd want to vote and say we should change his name. You know, we just have a bunch of people called Barnabas here. But we should just say, I see this in you. We need models to help us. It doesn't matter how your hip feels. It doesn't matter what your education level is. It doesn't matter what your stage in life is. Every one of us could be a powerhouse encourager. And Paul says, it's absolutely paramount to the growth of the church. I think we see this as one of those frou-frou side ministries that just makes people feel nice wrong biblical encouragement spurs us on to grow in the lord oh i think we're done heavenly father i thank you for your word that is so penetrating to our heart to what we need to hear lord i pray that you would not just stir us but you would bring about a chemical change in us that would have a hunger and a thirst to not only be encouraged by your word but to take the encouragement that we receive and to spill it out over everybody else lord i pray that every time we see a gas can or a jug of water we will for the rest of our life have on our memory that we're carrying around both god there's times when we need to pour fuel on the fire of a potential flame of encouragement and just let it blaze lord there's times when there's negativity that's growing in a person's life and we can just douse it and silence it with your word lord i pray that you would help us see that as we build one another up in you we are fulfilling the mission that you have called us to lord i pray for my friend in this room that This conversation is very painful. They feel so discouraged. They feel so lonely. They feel guilty right now because they feel so hurt that it's hard to imagine encouraging anybody else. Lord, would you remind them of your word that says, while weeping lasts for a night, rejoicing comes in the morning? Would you remind them that you are faithful from one generation to another 
Would you remind them that you are an ever-present help in time of trouble? Would you remind them that your call to encourage is not based in how we feel or what we've gotten, what we haven't gotten, or, 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 or what we desire to do, but it's in the hope we have in you, Lord. So I pray that you would encourage their soul today. Lord, I pray for the people who are hearing about encouragement, and they wouldn't stand up and say it, but that's who they are. They're living it. Would you give them boldness? to remind people around them that they too can enter into this? Lord, would you give this divine freedom that it can happen in their very own DNA? Maybe they're a Facebook encourager. They're a texting encourager, an email encourager. It may be through greeting cards. It may be through conversations on the phone. It may be through catching someone in the hallway. It may be through writing a note or a letter. It may be just by showing up to a crisis and just sitting there or standing there and being ministering by showing it with their own presence. Lord, I just ask that that silly guy who for whatever reason decided to pour gasoline on a real fire, it just came back on him and caused him to dance around that yard and the whole yard caught on fire and it ended up blowing up the gas can and all those things. Would you allow us to get drenched and covered in what it is that we are spreading? May we be encouraged ourselves by the words of hope that we give to people around us. It's in your name I pray. Amen. May God bless you. If you're going out to eat, encourage someone there. If you're going home, encourage someone there. If you're going to bed, then wake up tomorrow and encourage someone wherever you are there. God bless you.